you know, the first couple of days that I walked into the store and the lights were off and the parking lot was empty and it was, everything was quiet. It, it was very surreal. I'm used to walking into the store and the lights are on. And, you know, if, if it's business hours, then there's customers in the store and the telephone's ringing and you've got, it's activity and it, it, you know, it's movement, it's momentum. And that all came to a, a dead halt. Welcome to the Feel Good Running Podcast, where our goal is to keep you motivated, inspired, and energized. As a runner, or perhaps you are looking for the right motivation to become one, you've definitely found the right place. We share inspirational stories from real runners, motivating running-related information, and much more to help you feel good about your running. And now your host and a longtime feel-good runner himself, Jim Lynch. Well, hello, runners, and welcome to episode number 31. My name is Jim Lynch. This is my podcast, Feel Good Running. Welcome to it. Are you doing okay? How is everything out there? We are in August now, the last month of the summer, and then we start segueing into the fall. I was just telling somebody the other day, this is going to be my first real fall change of season and winter because I moved here in February of this year. He moved here to Denver from Maui. So I'm bracing myself. I'm hoping I can handle it okay. I do know I got to buy some clothes. I still have most of my Maui clothes, so I have to fall and winterize myself and buy some new stuff. That's coming up. That'll be a lot of fun. Fall, man. Can you even believe it? I can't. It's crazy how fast time goes. You know, it's a a whole different view the rest of this year. We don't have any races to look forward to. Most of them have been canceled. It was nice to see that there have been a few out here in Colorado, some trail races. They're very small and limited in capacity and have a lot of the social distancing and mask rules in place. And they seem to have gone off okay, so that's a good sign. But as far as the big marathons, they're, they're not happening. And we don't even know what's going to happen in the first quarter of 2021, you know? I, I, who knows what's going to happen there? Let's just keep our fingers crossed and hope we see some break in this pandemic where we can get back to normal a little bit and start racing again, right? That would be wonderful. So keep running. Try to figure out a way to keep motivated. Get your miles in. Because running and the races and the running groups are all going to come back at some point and it's going to be stronger than ever. Because of the pandemic, there's a lot of new people in our sport and they are ready to rock and roll as all of us are actually. So let me ask you a question. Do you have a local running retail store where you live? Well, like other retailers, independent running stores have suffered during this pandemic and seriously suffered. Most of them closed for the first few months of the pandemic and then opened only partially for curbside pickup. And with races canceled and running groups temporarily on hiatus, the local retail running stores had to figure out ways to survive, and they still are. This episode, my guest is Kent Worries, who is the owner of Runner's Roost Running Stores in and around Denver, Colorado. He owns outright six locations and licenses three more that are owned and operated by others. We have a very in-depth and candid conversation on how the coronavirus has impacted the independent running store segment 
And we also talk about what he did to keep his business alive and discussion on the future of the local independent running store. And that's coming up in just a little bit. You do not want to miss this. Okay. I was uh, recently flattered. I had a email come my way unexpectedly, and I was invited to be a guest on a podcast. So how about that? The word's getting out a little bit. The name of the podcast is Run Your Day Podcast, and Daniel Hafner is the host. And basically what it is, it's a podcast to provide relevant and focused lessons and stories every single day. It's a real positive podcast. And what's cool about it, in in addition to being positive, is that all the episodes are no more than 15 minutes. Now, my episode with Daniel was 37 minutes because we went more in depth. But generally, they're usually 12 to, to 15 minutes max. And get this, I was his 270th episode. So he's been around for a little bit and he's been doing this and it's been very successful for him. So you can find his podcast and my episode at runyourdaypodcast.com. There's other ways to get to it, but that's the easiest way, runyourdaypodcast.com. I'll put the link in the show notes at feelgoodrunning.com. And it was really refreshing to be on the other side of the microphone and have somebody ask me questions. And um, I enjoyed that very much. And Daniel's a really great guy. And I I thank him very much for reaching out to me and uh, giving me the opportunity to be a guest on his podcast. So thank you, Daniel. I appreciate it. And for you who are listening, don't just listen to my episode on his podcast, but listen to some of his other episodes. It's very inspiring. He's really got something there and he really makes you think. Uh, real positive message. So so be sure to check it out, okay? Do that because uh, it's good stuff. All right. I really don't have a lot to say this episode because there's really not a lot going on out there. So I think what we'll do is we'll just go right to our special guest because I think that's going to be very interesting for you to listen to. And uh, I'm going to preface it by saying support your local running store. All right. Remember that. Support your local independent running retail store. Okay. And uh, please share this episode with your friends on social media, all your social media outlets. The show is really growing and I really appreciate you, the listener out there. I can't uh, grow this thing myself. It's up to you. So thank you. And If you could do that, share it and subscribe at Apple Podcasts or Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts from. I'd really appreciate it. All right, let's keep the pace here. Let's keep the pace going with our special guest of the episode. And now it's time to welcome this episode's very special running guest. Okay, runners, if you have been a runner for some time or just starting off, You probably know how important your local independent running retail store is to your local running community. It's actually the heart of any running community. Not only is it the main place to purchase your shoes, apparel, and other accessories and gear, but many of these stores have run clubs, and you may have been part of one of them and and maybe even met some great running friends at one. Your local running store is also visible at running events in your community, and in many cases is the headquarters to pick up your race packet. They employ running experts to help you pick the correct running shoe for your gait and body type. However, they have been hit hard, very hard, due to the COVID-19 pandemic. 
So with that said, I am extremely pleased to have my guest this episode, Kent Worries. He's the owner of Runner's Roost running retail stores in the Denver and surrounding areas. He owns and operates six locations, Denver, Aurora, Lone Tree, Louisville, Boulder, and Central Park, which just as of this last weekend, the name was changed and it was formerly Stapleton. In addition, Kent licenses the Runner's Roost name to three other independently owned stores located in Lakewood, Fort Collins, and Colorado Springs. So to say he has skin in the game, well, I think that's kind of an understatement. Kent purchased Runner's Roost in 2016, but has worked for the company since 2010. His start was in the Aurora, Colorado store on the sales floor, and he quickly moved up and became the merchandise purchaser for all the stores for five years, and that gave him a real good feel for the business and an excellent opportunity to learn the ins and outs. John Schultz, the owner at that time, started talking to Kent about ownership. Kent credits John, who mentored him and prepared him for ownership. Kent continues to innovate and methodically operate his stores with a focus on employees and community. You're about to hear a very candid conversation about the pandemic and things he has done to wade through these tough times. And we also discuss the future of the independent retail running store, talk about running and other things. If you are a runner, you will realize that it is very important now more than ever to support your local running retail store. So now, this is me talking to Kent Worries of Runner's Roost, Colorado. So, uh, pandemic, man, really shook up the running world this year, hasn't it? You bet. Canceled is the... the term for the year canceled the running world it's just it's been amazing and how fast this has gone it's just crazy yeah when we uh you know started looking at the cases in in march you know a lot of us thought uh you know we'll kind of do the shutdown get over this quick and move on but that certainly has not been the case right right and we're still in it we're recording this in july right in the middle of july actually so kent thank you for coming on appreciate it um, you're from Illinois and I looked and I, you know, I just assume anybody from Illinois is from Chicago, but you're not from Chicago. You're from Shiloh, correct? Actually, no, I'm, I'm from Edwardsville, Illinois. Um, so I actually, I spent, uh, nine years, uh, in the suburbs of Chicago. And then, um, I spent the next nine years in suburbs of St. Louis. So I kind of split between the two cities there. Ah, okay. Cause I think when I found something about you, you were, over by the St. Louis area in Shiloh, yep. and uh, we're really there is a running store over there. There is so yeah, uh, Shiloh. Um, Mike Tulin's running company is actually the first place I got my first pair of true running shoes. Right. Um, he was a big supporter of the running community, and uh, we uh, stopped over there after my first season of cross country because I had a a terrible pair of. Um, shoes that were falling apart <laughs> and oh so my. and he he helped me out with my first pair of running shoes it was and he supported me the rest of my running career which is really great nice and you uh 
You said you started running cross country somewhere around the fourth, fifth grade, somewhere in there. So actually I started running uh, track and field in fifth grade, um, started doing sprints, 100, 200 meter dash. And then over time that slowly grew into doing the distance distances. Um, my high school coach, uh, was gracious enough to let me live out my sprinter fantasies for my freshman year. But then he, he said, you know, you're really going to be a lot better at the distances. <laughs> so yeah. he, he finally convinced me. And I was going into cross country at that point. Yeah. He, he convinced me to go out for cross country, which I didn't think was a, a very fun sport at the time. I, I still thought of myself as the sprinter. And uh, over time, again, he won me over to doing distance. Nice. Yeah. And then you uh, transitioned in when you went to, you went to Butler. Yeah. Good basketball team at Butler. Definitely. That got me interested in the team, watching them in the uh, Sweet 16 when I was a, a junior in high school. I was like, oh yeah, that looks like a good school. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> And Indianapolis is not too far from uh, Illinois, yeah. whether it's St. Louis or Chicago, either or. Mm -hmm. Were you responsible for bringing Peyton Manning to Denver? Uh, you know, I like to think so. Yeah. Yeah. Um, definitely, I became a much bigger Broncos fan when he when he moved over to the Broncos. Yeah, I think we were a Peyton Manning fan before he came to the Broncos, but boy, were we excited when he came. Mm -hmm. He was... Uh, he was the man, I'll tell you, and still is the man over here. He seems to really like Denver a lot. Yeah. So you uh, were in cross country at Butler too. Yeah, I ran cross country and then also track and field. Uh, it was a great experience um, all all around, you know, the competitive component of it, the, the social component of the friends and the, the community and, you know, going through the college years. And, and actually, I met my wife on the cross country team too. So I, I suppose there were many benefits all across the board. Wow. Sounds like the whole package there yeah, for you. For sure. Man. So after you graduated from college, you and your wife moved to New Jersey? Yeah. So uh, I had a, a job offer out there. Um, it was in my field of work, which is accounting, and um, decided to take up the job offer. It was good. But uh, after a year of doing that, I, I kind of realized that my heart wasn't really in it. And so we made the decision to move out to Colorado. We uh, both enjoy the outdoors. We both love going out for a good run. And um, we felt like what better place to, to be than Colorado. So backing up to New Jersey, why did you move to New Jersey? Was it a job offer? Because you, you graduated with an accounting degree, right? Yeah, it was finance and accounting. And right. so, yeah, my, my job offer uh, was, was out there in New Jersey. So it was, it was kind of the logical next step uh, in, in my, you know, what I thought my life was going to be like at right. that time. Right. But uh, Colorado was in your heart. Did you come out here before to visit and fell in love with it? Yeah. So um, earlier in 2009, um, that that first fall when we were living in New Jersey, we we came out here to visit my sister who who does live out here or and did at the time. And uh, we went and ran a race and I ran on the Highline Canal and I thought, man, this is the most beautiful trail I've ever run. And uh, I, I kind of fell in love with it at that at that point. And uh, right. that that little seed was planted and, and finally uh, came came to flower in the next year. So the Highline Canal is very nice, but you probably have found out really quick how many other beautiful trails there are out here. You bet. You bet. I found that out quick. And, um, I think it was the same or it was a similar, uh, timeline when I had gone with my brother-in-law and we went up to, um, White Ranch and he, he was mountain biking and he said, Oh, you know, it's, it's a tough hill, but you'll be okay. And, uh, I ran three miles up Belcher Hill and 
boy, the altitude and the, and the elevation change and the, you know, the hot sun, hot, dry sun that really taught me what it was like to run in Colorado trails. Oh yeah. I'm doing the, uh, David Manthe, Brian Williams, Colorado trail challenge. Oh yeah. Nice. The two relay team. And we're, I think we're about 30 miles from being completed. Okay. Already, nice. Which wow. is, yeah. We're going to make it in the top 12 relay teams, but there's some people that are just crazy. There's this woman, uh, she's a solo runner and she's up to, and it's a 500 mile thing. Yeah. She's up to like a thousand forty six miles. It's crazy. I don't even know if she sleeps, <laughs> but I, I look at her. Her name's Christine or something like that. But oh my gosh, it's a lot of miles in a month and a half. It, it's been interesting to see how people, uh, with with the virtual nature of of you know um, our time, that how people are still staying motivated. And um, there are some people who it seems like this is almost extra motivation for them to get out and to pound out the miles like you're talking about. Yeah. So, um, I think for other people it's been hard, but there's been this positive side to it as well. Tell you what, for me, this has been a great goal. I, coming here from Maui, I was putting on a lot of races. So my running suffered out there. Plus it was always hot. Mm-hmm. Every single day was hot out there. And I just, not a, not a really a fan of the heat yeah. when it comes to running. I'm a fan of the heat for a lot of other things, but not for running. Mm-hmm. And uh, since I've moved back, uh, I've really fell in love with running again. It's something that I missed, and I'm happy to be back into it again. So you um, you were going to competitively run after college, uh, and you decided to produce children. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) They're uh, definitely somewhat of competing interests in your life for sure. Um, Yeah. I was a kind of middle of the pack for, for my team at Butler, but over those years, my passion for the sport really, um, really grew, you know, like I said, it, it, it uh, did a lot of things for me. It stoked the competitive fire. It gave me, you know, a group of friends to, um, to, to hang with and, um, yeah, I just love the sport. So I, I wanted to continue doing that after the fact. So I, you know, I jumped in track races here and there. I was still training a lot and training hard with, uh, some of my coworkers here at the roost and having a lot of fun doing it. But, um, yeah, I also wanted to start a family with my wife that was important to us as well. And, um, you know, that, that started to take away, uh, some of the time and energy and focus that I could put on running. So that was a natural progression in life for me and something that, uh, I certainly wouldn't, wouldn't, um, turn back on, Oh yeah. but you know, I still long for, you know, I think back to the, the competitive days when you could go out and, you know, jump in a race and, and feel good. Now it seems like jumping on the track. I feel like I'm going to pull a muscle. <laughs> <laughs> well, at least you're still out there and that's the key. And you have four children, right? Yeah, I've got four children. Um, I've got, uh, my daughter is just about to turn eight. Um, my son, and then I have twin, uh, twin identical daughters, uh, that are three years old. Mm. And so is this kind of halfway point of building your family or (laughs) (laughs) we've crossed the finish line on that. Oh, you have. Okay, good. Well, that's good. At least you finished something. We might've collapsed at the finish line, but we've crossed it. (laughs) Yeah. Well, you still have a lot of, lot of miles to go ahead of you with four children, but, um, there's so much fun. I, uh, two step kids or, or grandkids through a, my stepdaughter. And, uh, 
They're so much fun. One's three and one's nine, eight, eight and a half months now. And uh, just a joy to be around. Yeah. Make you feel young. So I was looking at some of your stats and you're- Oh boy. Well, <laughs> no, actually I was really impressed because um, I think you you were fitting right in around, you're right in the six minute mile pace. Well, um, yeah, I mean, during college, you know, I was, uh, like I said, kind of middle of the pack. I would sometimes at our conference meets, uh, you know, be competitive towards the front. You know, one of the, my big goals the, the last couple of years of college was to continue to, uh, or to break 15 minutes for the 5k. So that was, um, you know, that was exciting to chase those types of goals. You know, I've got different goals now right? and the pace has slowed pretty significantly, but it was, it was fun definitely while it lasted and, and glad I had the opportunity to, to do that. Well, you know, you're, you're still fairly young and still have a lot of energy left. So I'm sure, mm-hmm. but you did mention uh, when I was reading some of your stuff that you enjoy, just enjoy running now, you yeah. know, and that's good. So in 2010, you moved to Denver. Did you do anything before you started with Runners Roost out in Aurora? So after moving here, um, my first move was basically to to interview at the Aurora store. So that, that was kind of my my aim there. And uh, I got hired. So I, I started work pretty, pretty shortly after moving here, which was great. I was, again, glad to have the opportunity. It was something new for me coming from a desk job in, in the corporate world. Um, you know, it was, a, it was a little bit nerve wracking to say, oh, I'm going to be facing uh, customers all day long. You know, what's that going to be like? But I grew to love it and grew to love um, the, the industry and also this company. Right. Um, so glad that, that I had that that experience to start. Yeah. Well, it's well established. Didn't it start in 1977? That's right. Roost? Yeah. 1977 down in Colorado Springs. Right. And then it had a progression, a few owners in there and then John bought it yep. and started uh, building it up a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. John, um, you know, John bought it from the previous owner, Max, and uh, Max had really expanded the business quite a bit. But, you know, when he was he he was looking to exit, he he kind of split it off into a few different pieces. And and John bought this core, this core piece, which was the Denver location and, and the Aurora location. But he saw the opportunity to, to re-expand in some ways. And I, I was, you know, uh, thankfully a part of that when I kind of got in when it was the two stores and we expanded to, to five pretty quickly there. And that opened the door then for me. I interviewed for a position for buying. To, and you did that for five years, right? Yeah, I did. I did that job for five years. So John was, I guess, trusted me enough to to give me some of the reins to to buy the product. And that was an exciting and fun job for me to, to take on. And uh, yeah, I, I loved doing that job. And it really gave me a good view and a good perspective on the business, being able to buy the inventory and then also just sit across from John and and learn from him. And he he was gracious enough to include me in a lot of conversations and some of his decision making, which uh, was great development and progression for me in my career. Yeah, he uh, he was a really good guy. I knew him, you know, from when I was here before I left for Maui. We didn't have a running store on Maui. Okay. Yeah. No running store at all. All we had was Sports Authority. Okay. Yeah. And then Sports Authority went out. And so if we yeah. needed to buy anything running, we would have to do it online or we would have to go over to Honolulu. Okay. Kona, because of the Iron Man, you could go over there. They have a few running stores over there, but nothing on Maui. 
And uh, it was kind of interesting. There was a running store uh, by a fellow who puts on some races out there now. And what he experienced was people would come in and they would try on shoes. Well, Sports Authority was kind of keeping an eye on that and they would figure out what he had in inventory. Mm-hmm. They would pick up the inventory and then undercut him. Yeah. So they try on at his store and then go over to Sports Authority and buy it. Yeah. And uh, that, that kind of... I kind of ended the uh, store. It didn't That's last too very bad. long. Yeah. I know. And it, you know, and it's a, it's a, um, it's an island that has a lot of tourists, a lot of, you know, transition there. And most people that are coming out on vacation, they already have their shoes. Mm-hmm. So it's not like they're going to, uh, buy a pair of shoes when they get out there. Yeah. They yeah. want to, they probably want to buy a, a running shirt or something like that that says mm-hmm. Maui on it. So in uh, two, oh, I was going to say I was shell shocked because when I left, the prices were still pretty low on some of the apparel and all that. When I came back, I started looking around and I'm looking at shirts and shorts that are sixty and eighty dollars. Wow! Yeah, <laughs> yeah. The apparel market for sure is ever changing, and um, you know we we try to adjust and pivot with it for sure. Right. Um, and you're right that there there was this wave of um, more more high quality and and trying to put more tech into into the product um, as it relates to the apparel, and um, we saw some really nice. Uh, we we've seen some really good product come out and merchandise that. Um, customers are looking for it's for us it's a matter of really finding that balance because there right. there are some of those customers who who want the the very best of the apparel and um some of the technologies like i said that they're putting into the apparel is really neat um particularly around like seamless um seamless uh, tops and you know the stuff that they're doing with laser cuts and and things like that um but then we also have to balance that with value right um and not everybody wants to pay for that premium, um, premium top. So we have to find what's, what's that middle ground. We, we, uh, we definitely hold ourselves to quality at, at runner's roost. Um, but, um, that doesn't mean that everything has to be at the very, very top end. Uh, we, we definitely look for those good value pieces that are quality, but also affordable. Oh, you have a, you have very good inventory here. I'll say that. Thanks. And, and, you know, whatever you need, you can get it here at Runner's Roost. And as we were talking before we started this, I have always been, you know, very loyal to Runner's Roost. And that's why I wanted to talk to you because I appreciate that. I think it's the uh, premier running store, period, out of really any running store that I've ever seen in all my travels. And of course, uh, it's always what I was loyal to for years in Denver. You know, and with Runner's Edge being part of that before I left, they used to do a couple of the runs each year mm-hmm. or each session, I think it yeah. was at yeah. the time. So um, 2016, John uh, started talking to you and you started getting interested in possibly transitioning to ownership yeah. away from John. How did that all come about? Uh, it was it was a lot of factors coming together. You know, it, it it's hard to pinpoint it to one for sure. Some of it was things that were going on in his life. Some of the things going on in my life, and um, some of the things going on in the business. And um, one of the things that we were really aligned on, the two of us were, was the vision for the future for the business. And if I could, you know, try to sum it up as as briefly as possible, is that um, we we agreed on that vision. But then he felt like he wasn't the right person to carry out that vision. 
And I said, if you're not the right, if you're not going to do this, I, I want to carry out that vision. I, I want to carry the torch to do that. And so, um, you know, I had been thinking about for maybe a year or two, if there was a way for me to, to step into an ownership type of role. And he, I think he had been thinking about for a few years, what was his exit strategy. And so, um, when, when we kind of came to that realization about the vision, it, it basically sealed the deal and said, well, this is now the time, the right. vision, the vision we've aligned. And now the person who's going to carry out that vision we've decided is not John and it is, it is Kent. Um, so I was, I was really thankful that we did align on that vision and because it made it a much easier transition for the two of us. You know, he wanted to get the deal done just as I wanted to get the deal done. Well, so he, that was exciting. He mentored you for, for a few years in there too. You so bet. you already had that relationship and friendship and all of that. So it was probably an easier transition for both of you. Yeah. It, you know, it did make it easier in a lot of ways um, because it was friendly, because we had that good working relationship and and we had a good friendship too. It also made it harder in ways. And I would say at the outset, I thought because of that, it might, we, we might just get through this easy peasy, but it, it was still emotional and tough for both of us. And, you know, to, to this day, you know, I still think about him and still want to carry on the the legacy that he built. You know, there's a lot of great things that he he put in the, to the foundation of this business. And, you know, I want to I want to care for that business. Um so in some ways even though the ownership has transitioned, there's still that legacy and that heritage that, you know, I feel uh, to a certain degree obligated to carry on. Well, you know, a, a transition of this size is not easy to do. I'm sure you had to deal with lawyers and, oh yeah, <laughs> you know, negotiations and mm -hmm. all all the stuff that goes on into it. I think I read an article about you and and the transition. It was kind of a what is it? It's right here, the outsider runners roost succession plan. Yeah, and it uh, it said it took about a year or so to to do this whole deal. Yeah, from from the very first concepts to actually signing the paperwork was probably around a year, and so a lot of that was coming to the decision uh, to to actually move forward. Um, but then there was a lot of work on exactly how we were going to do that, and even being in in that good working relationship, there there's still uh, you know lots of lots of details to sort out. I'm thankful that John was so patient doing all that. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, I'm, I'm glad I had a good team of professional help to, to help with all that because I certainly couldn't have sorted through all those by myself. Well, he's a, he's a pretty mellow guy. So yeah, it was, uh, it was probably a lot better than uh, having somebody that was a A type personality, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And we, we spent a lot of late nights here just trying to hammer out, you know, the details and talking. I remember there was one March, you know, our, our typical March snowstorms where we had actually closed down the stores. It was one of those, you know, freak snowstorms. Yeah. And, um, no one was here. There was snow piling up in the parking lot and on top of our cars. And we were still here just hammering it out for hours, trying to figure out how are we going to get this deal done? <laughs> Man. But you got it done. And, um, and then when it closed and you finally had a chance to breathe and you were the new owner, of Runner's Roost and, and the five stores at that time. What were some of the first things you did? Well, uh, you know, one of the first things that John told, or I should say one of the last things John told me before we uh, transitioned, he said, when when you walk in the doors 
as the owner, it's going to feel different. And I only half believed him at the time. But then that, that very next day when, when I walked in the store, it was different. Um, and so, you know, it was just a different feeling and, and it, it, it's um, maybe cliche, but that sense of ownership, it, it really kicked in. So um, being the perfectionist I am, I, I, I tried to perfect everything, but, you know, you quickly find out that's not possible. So, you know, our we had a couple key initiatives going in. Uh, with the transition plan, uh, one of our big things is we knew we needed to build back our inventory base, and we we worked really hard with our vendors to to make that possible. And um, the other thing was really uh, focusing on the people. We had exited a few of the key roles. Um, I had moved out of the buying position into the uh, general manager and operator position. John had exited that, so I was new in my role. And John's uh, wife and also owner, Lynn Schultz, was doing buying for the apparel. And so I had to fill a few roles immediately. And then shortly thereafter, we had a few, you know, musical chairs and, and there were even more key roles to fill. And so that first year, especially, that was a really big focus was uh, making sure we put the right players in, in the right seats. So I, I really started digging into the personnel side and, and finding out who, who were my strong leaders in, in the company and, you know, who could help me build the business to where I wanted to take it. You know, when you're the owner and it's your baby, you take a whole different look at the business and the needs for the business. Yeah. And I'm sure you sliced and diced this thing left and right, sideways, up and down, just to try to figure out what was the best approach based on what your game plan was. Yeah. You know, when I was the buyer, I, I had a, you know, objective, which was to get uh, the right products in the stores and, and, you know, get the right amount of it. And uh, when you're the owner, like you said, that your perspective has to grow quite a bit. And now I was concerned about the financing of the company and the sales operations and the, you know, hiring an HR and the marketing. And so everything, you know, starts to pile up. And one of the things that, you know, a lot of people don't think about very much is just the facilities and maintaining administrative, you know, maintaining the phones and the internet and the, the, you know, the user accounts. That was one thing that was a little bit of a shocker for me is like, there is a lot of work here to manage, you know, the, the stores and, and all the things that they used and tools they used to conduct their business. Um, so, you know, put on my entrepreneurial hat as best I could. And, you know, you, you learn a lot of things that you didn't know how to do before. And you just kind of take those things one step at a time. Well, the good thing about taking over a business that's been established since 1977 is you have a lot of customers already, a lot mm -hmm. of loyal customers. And, uh, you know, you... You also have other businesses within your business here. Now, just so everybody knows, if you're, if you live in Denver, you know where the runners restores are most, most cases. If you're not from Denver and you come here, there's one right here in Denver. We're at the one on Colorado Boulevard right now. Uh, you have an Aurora store that actually moved. Uh, yeah, we moved last year. Yeah, you moved last year. From across the, the old, street. <laughs> across the street. Well, hey, you know, still in the same location. One down in Lone Tree. Mm -hmm. That opened up after I left. Um, Lew Louisville, is that the one that uh, Alan, Alan Culpepper Cul used to own that? Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, I, it was, John owned it when I was still here. Okay. And then you got one in Boulder. I'm not sure you had that one at that time. No, that was, that's recent. Um, that was in 27, 2017. Right, yeah. 
Right. And then you, when you took over, then the new Stapleton store opened, which is going to probably be a different name now, right? Yeah. We're, <laughs> we're, we're trying to watch that and see what, what the name changes might be. Um, but yeah, we opened up that store in 2018 and, um, yeah, might be changing names. You might be changing names soon. Got to pivot with the times, right? Exactly. So you, uh, you know, you, you have not only you're running apparel, shoes, you know, and all the, all the gear that somebody needs to be a runner, but you also provide other services too. You, you're doing uh timing now for yeah. some, um, extreme races. You have some built in third parties, uh, that utilize your facilities like chiropractors mm -hmm. or acupuncturist or nutritionist. Mm -hmm. Um, and those are basically in two stores, right here in Colorado yep. and in Boulder. That's, that's correct. So yeah, we, we want to, um, be here for the, the complete runner's journey, right. uh, with the sport and, um, you know, gear is an important part of that. There's no question. Right. And, and we're, we're definitely very good and very familiar with gear. Um, but we, we definitely want to be there for the customer for the other parts of the journey too. And, and, you know, going out and participating in the sport, you know, whether it be at a, a race or a, a charity walk or whatever that, you know, that's an important part of engagement for our customer. And so we want to be there and, and help um, enhance those experiences and make them the best for the customer. And we, we do that in a number of ways. Um, you touched on a few of them, but we, we definitely, you know, work with partners and we do some of those things ourselves too, to, um, you know, engage the community to deliver those great services and, and products. Um, so, you know, even you mentioned runner's edge of the Rockies earlier and, you know, that they've been a great partner of ours over the years with both their races and, uh, the training group. And so we, we look for some of those community partners so that we can deliver those great experiences to our runners. And, and I think that's great. We would do a couple runs from your store here on, on Colorado Boulevard um, usually the kickoff for Runner's Edge when, when Runner's Edge was really humming at that yeah. time. And it was nice because it'd bring in a couple hundred people into your store, yep. you know, and it worked out and you gave a nice discount and, uh, and flipping flapjacks. Don't forget that. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. I live in Northfield and I, I work out of my house. It's my regular job and right across the street is Runway 35 Park. Okay. And I'm, I'm sitting there one day and I'm doing some work and I look out and right in the park is flipping flapjacks. Nice. <laughs> Don't know why they were there, but they were there. There's probably a race going on. <laughs> there was no race going oh. on. <laughs> I think, uh, I think Regis was doing some, uh, kids things over there. They had a couple of tents and all that set up. So that may have been it. Okay. So, you know, and the other thing too is, is that people come and pick up their race packets here. Yeah. That's important to us. It's important. Yeah. And can they, can you still, I know, I know we're going to get into this in a little bit because everything in the world has been canceled now, but yeah. when the races were on, they could come here and even sign up for a race. You know, that, that was a much bigger part of our business, maybe 10, 10, 15 years ago. Mm. Um, and, you know, obviously with, with the digital age and, right. and online registration, that's really, um, that's really faded quite a bit to where most recently, you know, the, the Susan G. Komen walk was kind of the only holdout, I think that was still doing a lot of paper registrations. And even that, that race or that, that event now has changed quite a bit. So our in-person registration, um, is not really, uh, doesn't really exist much anymore. Yeah. Um, so we're, we're now more reliant on that, that packet pickup traffic. 
I'm still living in 2012. Yeah. Because <laughs> I would come here and I would sign up for a race. You'd come into the door, go into the back, and you had all the applications and yeah. all that other stuff mm -hmm. at that time. Yeah, I need to get with uh, the times here, seriously. <laughs> uh, so business was good, just humming along. All your stores were producing. You had your run groups going on from here and uh, actually most of your locations. Mm -hmm. And then this pandemic hit. Yeah. I think it was where things started shutting down here in Denver and the running world was just like a week before the running of the green. Yeah, that's right. Um, I remember we had uh, our last run club was right before that. And uh, we were, I was talking with some of the the folks that came out that, that day and uh, there was a lot of chatter about what was going on. You can imagine. And uh, one of the big questions was, is running of the green going to happen? Um, and, and that was a big question for the running community. Cause that's been such a, a big, um, a big marker for the, the kind of like the kickoff to the, the racing calendar. And for that not to happen was was kind of bigger than it, the event itself. It was almost like a, a marker that the season isn't going to happen, and and that is and what ended up happening. Um, so it was kind of telling in that way, and and somewhat ominous, really, because we all looked at ourselves, you know, and, and said we don't think it's going to happen. And it was kind of a moment of reckoning for us all to say, right. what what are we walking into? Um, and I, I still don't think we quite knew, but we knew that it wasn't going to be good for the racing calendar and, and for a lot of other aspects of life. Um, and then it kind of hit hard and fast from there. Uh, you know, retail shut down shortly thereafter. And, um, yeah, we, we had to really think what was going on in our business. How are we going to operate? How are we going to stay in business? And so it, what, what it opened up for us from a, a business standpoint as I think it did for a lot of people in, in many other ways, is it opened up a lot of uncertainty of how are we going to move forward with staff and how, what are our customers going to do? Uh, how are they going to get product and how are we going to get product into our store? And just all these questions that we didn't, we didn't know the answer to. And there was very little guidance as to what was going to happen in the future. So it, it very much felt like one day at a time and try to follow the, the, the guidelines from the government and the, the news the best you can, but it was changing so rapidly. It felt like it was impossible to keep up. So that uncertainty was, was very challenging for all of us. When you realized that you had to physically shut down your stores yeah. where nobody could come in and buy anything, how, how did you approach that? I know it's probably, first of all, a couple of sleepless nights there yeah. just trying to figure things out, but you know, you, you, there was a lot of emails that came out, you know, your, your newsletter-ish type stuff. Yeah. Um, and you, it seems like you were on the ball to really figure out a way to keep things going. How did that all come about? Uh, yeah, lots of, lots of time contemplating what we we're going to do and talking with the team here um, to, to decide how can we move forward. Yeah, I mean, really the first feeling was, was this is surreal. You know, the first couple of days that I walked into the store and the lights were off and the parking lot was empty and it was, everything was quiet. It, it was very surreal. 
I'm used to walking into the store and the lights are on. And, you know, if, if it's business hours, then there's customers in the store and the telephone's ringing and you've got, it's activity and it, it, you know, it's movement, it's momentum. And that all came to a, a dead halt. And it was just so bizarre. And, and like I said, surreal, but you know, what kept us going is some, some confidence in the future that, you know, what we're doing and what our business is about doesn't change, you know, running, people are still going to want to run. People are going to want to run more. And so we, we knew that there was still a future for our business. It was just, how do we get to the other side? Um, and, and so when the discussions with the leadership team really was about, okay, um, our core business, it, it makes sense. We, we we're still about the runner or the runner still wants to run. The runner still needs gear. But for this time, for a moment in time, we need to really change how we operate and how can we do that? So we, we started, you know, pivoting. We, we asked staff members to come to the Denver store and we had all the, all the phones ringing just here at the Denver store. So nobody had to be at the other stores and, we were taking phone calls and we were walking through people through 20, 25 minute shoe fittings over the phone, which isn't something we normally do. Um, that was something we, that became normal. And so we, we just did our best with what the hand that was dealt to us. And we said, you know, we, we still believe in our business. We still see that our business, you know, matters to our community and how can we continue to service them even, even while our doors are closed? You know, I, I wanted to ask you about that. There was a, a thing that I was reading about, about virtual fittings, Yeah, that that's becoming something new out there. What is a virtual fitting? So the basic idea is how can I, you know, do a gate analysis while you're at home and uh, I, the fitter, am, am somewhere else. And uh, that's primarily done through applications like Skype or Zoom. And, um, you're taking video and doing a a video assessment, just like you might in the store where, you know, the associates looking at your foot and looking at how it moves in motion and then assessing what some of the, um, you know, the right shoe options might be for you. Um, it obviously there's some, some barriers, uh, to that. And, um, there's some challenges with that sort of format. Um, but it, it can work and it can be successful. Uh, we've toyed with a little bit, but we haven't, uh, really dove in head first on that, that particular initiative in talking with some of my peers across the country, they've had some good success with it. You know, we, we felt like we were, we were doing a pretty good job over the phone. It's still, again, challenging and there's a barrier there. Right. Uh, that's, that normally isn't, doesn't exist, but, um, it's something that I think the future holds and it, it may not, I don't think it will totally replace the in-store experience and the in-store fitting. I still think that's a, you know, that's a really important experience, but it can be a substitute in certain situations. And I think this pandemic and the environment we're living in now has exposed us to, as to how creative and how flexible we can be if, if it's needed. Um, and I think that's the key for us to take away is that, you know, we, we can pivot, we can try these new things and they can be successful. It doesn't mean that it's going to completely take over the way of doing business before, but it, mean, it, it can mean augmenting and supplementing those, those ways of doing business. Well, that's what you have to do. You have to come up with creative ways to do the business. You were doing curbside pickups. Mm-hmm. Do you do shipping, purchase an internet and then ship out? So, you know, that was something that was on our list for kind of the longer range plan, but 
uh, at the beginning of the year, at the beginning of 2020. But then with the the pandemic hitting, we had to adjust some of our priorities and what we were working on. Um, there were a few other priorities we kind of demoted in the list and the digital strategy got accelerated and, and got brought up in the list. And so we started the pandemic uh, with no online presence for shopping and we came out of the shutdown period um, with an online store. Um, and so that was just an example of something that it was on our list, but it got accelerated and it moved up in the list, um, because of the pandemic. And so now we are operating at runnersroost.com. You can go shop there and, and check out what we've got and we're, we're shipping to our customers. And, you know, it took a lot of work to get all those pieces in place, but like I said, it, it's not going to, totally take over how we do business, but it is going to be an important part of our business, you know, as an incremental, as an addition, an addition going forward. It has to be, mm-hmm. you know, it's an interesting balance here because with this pandemic, our sport of running is one sport that people could still do. Yeah. You know, you couldn't do team sports, but you could always get out there and run. Yep. You just throw a buff on and just go out and, and do it. There was never any restrictions to this whole pandemic about being able to go run. So that produced a lot of people that came into our sport during mm-hmm. that period. But on the other end, all these races have been canceled. The major races have been canceled. Who would have ever thought New York, Chicago, Boston, all of these races canceled which means that it put a big dent into running gear and, mm-hmm. and apparel and all mm-hmm. that because people don't need it. Yep. You know, you yeah. don't have the expos, you don't have any of that stuff. It's a double-edged sword for sure. It is. And, you know, you, you spoke to kind of the simplicity of the support the, of the sport. And, um, you know, that's something I believe in uh, deeply is that this sport's great because it's so simple, you know, put two shoes on your feet and go run. And that's really all you need to know um, right. to get started. And obviously you can, you can learn more and get, get better, but that's all you need to get out the door. And um, I think the, the pandemic has really highlighted that particular aspect of the sport, which is great. Um, you know, the part of the sport that it, it took away is the competitive com- part or at right. least took a good chunk out of. And um, so that's the, that's the negative side of things. I, I think that, you know, that spirit, that competitive spirit that people feel, um, you know, that that's, that's growing right now. And I think there's, there's an outlet that, that needs to happen at some point because I think that that is just building and we don't know when that's going to be, but I'm excited for the, the time when we can go back to races because I think people are going to be really excited to get back into that environment and compete face to face to cross that finish line and, and have the photo and have that moment. So I'm excited for that. I, I know that, you know, we're, we're not quite there yet, but I feel that, you know, in talking with people who, um, you know, come into the store now or the staff or whomever, you know, I, I feel that that sense of competitiveness building up. I, I need to get out and release those juices. So that's exciting. I think there's a lot of that going on. I compare the virtual races I think virtual races are cool, but I'm not that big on the on the smaller ones. I like yeah. the longer ones that give you a long-term goal that you can look forward to, mm-hmm. you know, and, and maybe takes you a month and a half or two months or three months to do. That keeps, keeps you going. But I think we're going to see an explosion of numbers 
of people that come into running. Yeah. Once the pandemic is behind us enough where there can be, you know, races again. I'm a race director, you know, with the Maui Marathon and some other things. And you know what? I don't know if it's ever going to go back to the way it was. Mm-hmm. Um, but I know the participation is going to be there. Yeah. Maybe we can't, a uh, volunteer can't hand a cup of water to somebody as they run by. Maybe runners have to pick up their own water. I, I don't know how that's all going to change, but I do know that the runners are going to be there. Yeah. In abundance. Yeah. I think overall participation numbers are, are likely to, to go up once, once the events are allowed to occur. But I think the big question, as you, you alluded to, is those larger events, you know, the, the 10,000, the 20,000 person events are, are those going to have to be dramatically, uh, changed? And I, I don't know the answer, but, uh, it'll be interesting to see what happens to those. But I think the boon might be to some of the smaller events that, you know, the 100, 200, 300 person events that might double in size. They might triple in size because there's just more, uh, more interest in the sport generally. Sadly, I'm sure because of, um, the pandemic, some races that have been going on for years that have been on, Basically, a shoestring putting yep. on are not going to come back. Yep. But you're going to still see the big ones. You know, I think Chicago and I think Boston and New York have been very fair, as fair as they can be mm-hmm. with, uh, you know, how they did the cancellation and what they gave to the runners. Yep. I mean, a full refund and still being able to do a virtual race. I can see that because they got to get rid of all that, the medals and the shirts that they have stored up in their their mm-hmm. warehouses, but I think they were very fair, but they can absorb those costs. These races, um, and you know this, you're a business person owning stores on the race end. Those are businesses. New York is a business. Yep. Chicago is yep. a business. Honolulu Marathon out in um, Oahu. That's a huge business. They have offices in Honolulu and Japan. Yeah. It pulls in so many people from mm-hmm. Japan. Our marathon is nonprofit, the Maui Marathon through Valley Isle Roadrunners, but we've been successful for years to be able to keep our cash reserves up mm-hmm. so we can take the hit this year. We, I, yeah. I don't think we could take it, um, you know, for another year. Yeah. Um, yeah. It, it's definitely tough to see that. Um, you know, there's certain industries that got hit particularly hard. Um, certainly event businesses got hit extremely hard. Um, and so that's tough because we, you know, we historically have partnered with a lot of them. And so we're, we're hopeful that many of them come back, but we're realistic that, you know, there's probably going to be some fallout there. Um, and this, and the same goes when we look at the retail landscape, mm-hmm. you know, we, one of the things that we care about when we look for our locations is who, who are our co-tenants, who, who's going to be our neighbors in our shopping center. And that's something we're concerned about and looking at, you know, with our different stores, uh, you know, restaurants are, have obviously taken a very tough, tough hit. Um, so we're, we're hopeful that as many of them can come back as, as possible. So, uh, cause that, that draws people to the store. That's nationwide. Yeah, it is. I mean, probably worldwide, but definitely nationwide, nationwide. There's a survey that, uh, I have here that I found. This is kind of, you said there's a new one, a more updated one. This yeah. was as of March 27th. Um, and that was right at pretty much the very beginning of the pandemic. Yeah. But it said that some of these retail stores, retail running stores, probably have one to three months 
or the cash reserves that they can get by on. Mm-hmm. You're kind of in the three month period now, and but you're back up and running. Mm-hmm. Your your stores are open, people are coming in. Yep. Um, you know, you have the social distancing and mask requirements, but your stores are they seem to be doing pretty good right now. Yeah, we've been thankful that, you know, Colorado was able to reopen a little bit earlier than some other parts of the country. And, you know, our our customers seem to respond fairly positively to reopening and also positively to some of the adjustments we had to make uh, to the to the retail landscape, like the, the masks and such, you know, the the survey referencing the cash reserves amount that that's pretty typical. And so to take a one month off quote unquote, you know, that that's a very severe impact to, to retail companies and in particular running retail, you know, retail operates off of thin margins to start with. Right. Um, and to, to take away, you know, 10% of sales or, or something like that for the year, um, is really dramatic impact. So we all had to scramble to, to work on how are we going to finance our businesses? And I think everybody had, you know, a unique situation as to how they were going to do that. And thankfully we, we were able to adjust in, in a number of ways, expenses and, and we did apply for a PPP loan. And, you know, there are a lot of different moves we made. Um, you know, we, we looked for support in all different directions. We, we talked with our landlords. Um, one of the best, I, I guess, um, positive moments in the pandemic was seeing how all the, our brand suppliers stepped up. You know, it was varied response, but for the most part, it was very positive in the way that they responded to us. They were very accommodating, you know, allowing us to kind of delay paying our bills to them and, and all that sort of thing. Um, so, you know, like I said, we, we looked in a lot of different directions. We, we view a lot of our relationships as partnerships, you know, whether it be the, the race down the street or, you know, Nike in, in Beaverton, we're, we're, and we're our landlord, you know, our multi-billion dollar landlord company. Right. And we, we view those as partnerships. And so we, we went to our partners and said, Hey, this is what's happening in our business. We, you know, we need to find a, a solution here, um, because status quo isn't going to work. So, you know, we, we really looked at how were we going to get through the next two months, three months, four months. Um, and we, we kind of pulled all the levers we could. And thankfully that, that seemed to be enough. Well, you have to, I mean, you you don't have any other choice. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You can't sit back and (laughs) it's not going to magically repair itself. That's right. And, and I think that was, that was some of the realization that was happening those first couple of weeks is we had a strong, we were going into a strong March and those first couple of weeks of March were really strong. We were excited about where our sales were going and what our teams were doing. And, um, and then the pandemic hit and at the very beginning, we, we were thinking this might, this might be a short term thing. Um, you know, let's just try to ride out the next, couple of weeks and, you know, pretty soon thereafter, you know, a couple of days later, a few days later, you're thinking, I'm not sure if this is going to be a couple of weeks. And, you know, another few days later, you're like, I don't know how long this is going to be. And so you, you quickly had to change the mindset to let's ride over the speed bump to, uh, we've got to adjust our entire business. You know, I, th- I think we still don't know where this is all going. That's right. I think, uh, Based on what I've read and I think what everybody understands is that we're bracing for impact this fall and winter. 
-hmm. What is this virus going to do at that time? And is there going to be a a vaccination by then or not? I I think if we get through this winter, we're really going to be able to come out of the other end of this. And I hope races start in 2021. I really do. Again. Yeah, it's 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 hard to forecast out what's going to happen. So uh, we're certainly thinking about what could happen in certain scenarios. And, uh, you know, what happens if there aren't races for the rest of the year? What happens if, you know, there aren't races at the beginning of next year? What happens if we have to shut, shut the stores again? You know, we're starting to think about those sorts of things. Obviously, we hope we hope that you know, the pandemic subsides as, as quickly as possible. But, you know, we are also planning for, for that not to happen. Yeah. Did, did you keep most of your staff or did you do that unpleasant uh, thing to have to furlough some? It was kind of a mixture, honestly. Um, you know, for uh, for a period of time, we were able to keep um, the majority of our staff on. There was a, a small contingent of uh, kind of our, our really part-time folks who work just a, a few hours a month that we we didn't have on for a while. But we were able to keep most of the staff on for a good a good chunk of time. But then there was a about a two week period where we had to um, just kind of cut cut the payroll and and save those expenses. Thankfully, we've been able to you know, now with the stores being reopened, we've been able to go back. I don't know if we're at a hundred percent, but we're, we're certainly close, uh, close to that in terms of staffing and payroll. Um, so that's been good that the amount of time that we, we had that, I guess, cut cutting of ties from our staff was, was relatively short. And so uh, along with all the aid that the government provided, I think from an individual standpoint, really none of them went into what you might call harm's way. I think they all kind of were able to stay on their feet financially. Oh, that's awesome. You know, I know that, uh, especially runners, I'm sure everybody that works here in, in any of your stores, um, are so passionate about running. Yeah. As a matter of fact, you seem to attract elite runners that mm-hmm. some of them, you've had some that spun through here that are here right now that competed in the uh, Olympic trials. Yeah, yeah. No, that's great to... um you know, share stories with them and hear what their training's like and to some degree, like live vicariously through them and hear about their tales of, of competing. And yeah, we're, we're always excited to see them and, and, and hear about what they're doing. You know, we've had a lot of good runners come through here over, over history. Um, I certainly couldn't, couldn't recall all of them, but you mentioned Patrick Rizzo. He, he worked yeah. here for a number of years and, yeah. and had a long career with Mizuno. Uh, and then at the end of it, Skechers. And, um, yeah, he, he was great. He was a great personality to have in the store and have out on the road, uh, representing us to a, to a degree. And, um, you know, more recently, Charles Remillard works here at the Denver store. He's, he's also a teacher. And, uh, yeah, and he's also a Olympic marathon trials competitor. Um, and so it's cool to see him, you know, excel in all those different areas that he's performing in his, in the classroom and in the store and then out on, on the roads. It's cool to see the, those personalities that are so driven to excel in many, you know, facets of life. Um, what I was really impressed with, with Patrick and I, I observed this and this was before I left in 2012 to go to Hawaii, but, Patrick, if somebody came in, they were a brand new runner, never ran before. Patrick was a mellow guy and he would just take his time with them and talk to them. 
and they had no idea what kind of runner he was. Mm -hmm. He was so humbled and had no ego. I'm sure he had a competitive ego around his peer (laughs) and colleagues. (laughs) I'm sure he had that. But for a customer that came in, it didn't matter if you were a good runner or if you never ran before. He treated you like you were golden. You're spot on. Yeah. And that, that's, that's super important to us. And, and Patrick lived that out on, on our sales floor, you know, every day. That was definitely who he was and how he, how he acted towards our customer. And, uh, you know, we, we've had our fair share of folks who, who maybe didn't do that. And we had to, you know, coach them up or, or coach them out because that's such an important thing. And if somebody walks into our store and we've got an elite runner who's, uh, showing off the fact that they're, you know, a two two fifteen marathoner, and you know, you should bow down to me. Well, you know, we need to we need to correct that immediately. And so, it's uh, it's interesting to see that we we've we've had kind of both sides of that, where we've had the elite runners who totally can bring that humility to the sales floor, and you know, celebrate and encourage the person who's overweight, just starting to run, just finished their first five k. And we've had the runner who has a hard time appreciating, you know, the the beginner to the sport. And we've really had to work on finding those people who can bring the humility to the sales floor. I was wondering if it was a prerequisite that you had to um, run a six minute mile to be considered for a job. And, um, and <laughs> then if you were, if you were, uh, in the Olympic trials, you got extra consideration. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. And, and, and no way, you know, what's, what's kind of cool. Uh, I'm, I definitely pride myself in a little bit is that our organization over the years, we've, we've taken some people who started in the organization and running, uh, was not really an important part of what they were doing. It may have been a small part of their exercise routine and they were more into to yoga or rock climbing or, or something like that. And over time when they're, you know, kind of immersed in this culture, both from a, a staffing perspective, but then also, you know, dealing with customers all day, they, they grow to, to love the sport more and then they engage more and, they've become more of runners and self-identified runners than they were when they started at the store. Right. Um, so I, I think that's a really neat component of, of what we do here at the roost is it's, you know, it's important that we can share that, that part of our lives together. They have to be educated too, to be able to figure out the best product for that particular oh. runner. Mm-hmm. And uh, so uh, just uh, wrapping this up, I just have a couple more questions for you. What's going to be happening with Run Club? Oh, great question. <laughs> uh, do you want to tell me the answer to that? Um, well, we we figured something out that you know, but... Uh, <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, we, we've been talking about that as a leadership team and, and how that's going to show up. Um, I mean, one thing I can tell you with certainty is that when we do start up, it's going to be modified from where we were in the past. And we're going to have to, um, you know, ask the run clubbers to, to, you know, act and operate in a different way. You know, exactly what those are. We're, we're not totally sure. We are considering opening up run club at our Stapleton store here soon. Um, and we've got some modified protocols that we've communicated out to that community. And, um, we're going to kind of tiptoe into it and, and see how things go. But certainly we're, we want to recognize that, you know, our customers and our runners safety is a, is a priority for us. We want to respect, you know, what, 
what they're comfortable um, participating in and also recognize that there's a, a need to, to be together. Um, so we're, we're trying to balance those, those different right now, seemingly competing priorities. And so I don't know exactly what the future holds besides saying that I know it's going to change, change some. And to some degree, that's sad for us because it's an important part of our way of engaging with the community. And it's something we love, you know, as a staff and as our customers, I think, love it too. But it's just a a necessity uh, given the times we're in. Well, I love Run Club. I've actually, when I first came back, I ran from here a couple of times, re-engaged with some friends. Yeah. Uh, but I also went over to Stapleton because I live in Northfield and I started running with them. Yeah. You know, they're all a lot younger than I am, <laughs> but I enjoyed it. And then we would go over to, I think, it, what is it, Station 23? 26. 26, 26, right. And that was, uh, that was a lot of fun. Yeah. I enjoyed that. I hope it comes back at least to a degree. I think everybody understands and I think everybody will adapt to the changes that you make. But if there's social connection where you can meet some of your friends and go out for a run, I think that's awesome. And I think it's important for a running store. Yeah. And that's something that, you know, one of the core things that we believe in is that social connection and, um, you know, we, we think that's not going away. It, it may adjust, it may pivot a little bit, but the need for it and the need to connect. Um, and we think the, you know, the sport of running is a great, you know, a great way to connect. That's not going away. And so, um, we know that run club's not going to disappear off the face of the earth, <laughs> but yeah, for a time and, and maybe for an extended time, it may, it may look a bit different than, uh, what it did in, January and February this year. What I missed, especially, is you would have some speakers come. Yeah. You had some pretty big names come through this store. We have indeed. And, and that's one of the, that's another one of the things that we're considering. How can we, how can we pivot in the future? You know, is it possible to get, you know, one of the events that was right up on the, um, the edge of the pandemic and the shutdown was, uh, we were going to have Courtney DeWalter come into the Denver store. And that was a, that we were really excited about that event and having her, you know, talk to our customers. And, uh, that got canceled, but we were thinking, man, we, we could maybe do some of this stuff virtually. Maybe we could, we could have her come in through Zoom. And, um, so we're, we're still thinking about ways that those virtual and, and, you know, more distant ways of connecting, um, can, can be possible for us and for our stores and community. I interviewed, uh, Brittany Charbonneau. Yeah. And that was a great, it, we had, it was a really a fun interview and conversation with her. She's a fireball man, mm-hmm. <laughs> but, uh, you know, right here, I, Scott Jerk, he's in Boulder. I mean, you, there's some big names here, right in this vicinity too. You don't have to go far. Yeah. You don't, don't have to go far. So my final question to you is what is your personal opinion about the future of not only the running retail stores, but in general, what do you see on the horizon, say the next couple of years? Well, I think that, um, you know, there's a lot of great special run specialty, um, operators out there across the country, um, who know their markets well, who can operate their stores and business as well. And they're going to adjust. And, and quite honestly, I think they're going to thrive. Um, and one of the reasons I think they're going to thrive is I think there might be some of the folks who don't meet that definition, who got in it just because it was a hobby or, you know, they're not great operators or they don't know their markets super well. 
I think those those folks might struggle and we might see fewer of them. I think that's the reality of retail right now is that some of the stronger players are going to survive and they're going to have a few scars, but hopefully they're going to learn from them and then they're going to come out stronger for it. Um, and there might be a few of the weaker ones who weren't performing as well who might not make it through. That That's kind of what I see. You know, for Runner's Roost, certainly I, I, I want to be in that first camp. I think we've got a lot of positives, things that we've talked about this episode, like the the strong history. And um, I think we've got a great staff who cares about not only the sport, but this the the running community here in Colorado. Um, and I think we've got a great leadership team who who can kind of cast that vision for the future. And so I think those are some of the key elements that are going to allow us to adjust and then thrive in the future. That's... Uh... That's what you need to do. And I have no doubt that Runner's Roost is going to definitely make it. Thanks, Jim. Um, absolutely. Good owner, good person, passionate about the business, and uh, that's why it's going to thrive. Well, thanks you're, for having me on, Jim. Telling your heart. Yeah. And I want to tell all the listeners, too, that, and this is really important, and I've talked about it in past episodes, is to support your local running store. You know, you can always go and find your stuff on Amazon or go to the big box stores like Dick's Sporting Goods and that. And I'm not dissing Dick's Sporting Goods, but your local running stores need you right now. They need you for survival, especially through this pandemic. And by even if you have to spend another 10 bucks for your shoes where you get 10 bucks off someplace else, Go to your local running store and spend it because you're going to help them continue to be a part of your running community, help with the races out there, be the place where you go pick up your your packet. You're going to support some of these people that are working at the running stores that are making a living here. So support your local running store. Thanks. I appreciate that plug. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, I, I, I truly believe that. You really need to. I, I, don't, uh, I don't see any reason why you should. Yeah. The, the local support's huge. And, um, you know, I, I can tell you just during the pandemic, uh, hearing the phone calls uh, from our, our, you know, loyal local customers, it was, it was great to hear. And that definitely kept us going. You know, uh, it wasn't, we weren't breaking any sales records during that time, but every phone call was kind of a, a little nudge and a little push to keep us going. Um, we really appreciated that. So anyway, thank you to the local community here who, who did that. Yeah, absolutely. And we'll have uh, in the show notes uh, information on Runner's Roost. If you want to check out the website, if you live in Colorado, you probably know about Runner's Roost. If you don't, come by any one of the stores. They're all great stores. And uh, and just check them out. I actually, when we get done with this, I've been waiting for this day for a while. I am going to go upstairs and buy a new pair of shoes. All right. I'm ready to ready to rock on a new pair of shoes, and so I'm going to pick those up. Ken, thank you so much for coming on. It's been a pleasure speaking with you. Great conversation, and and good luck. Thank you, Jim. Likewise. There you go. A great conversation with Kent Worries. Appreciate having him on. And if you want to check out the Runner's Roost website, go to the show notes for this episode at feelgoodrunning.com. There's a link to Runner's Roost here in Colorado. 
You know, Runner's Roost has been and always will be my go-to independent running retail store here in Colorado. And I do understand that there are other running stores in the Denver area. And if you're loyal to them, keep patronizing them. All of them need your patronage to survive. One topic we did not discuss, but did so after the conversation, was the impact the coronavirus has had on shoe and apparel manufacturers. During the pandemic, production of products either slowed down drastically or were shut down completely. And this will result in delays in new shoe and apparel production, and you'll most likely see some inventory reduction at your local running store for a time. And some independent retailers will actually temporarily reduce inventory to balance out the demand throughout the remainder of 2020. Kent mentioned that in normal times when they place an order from a vendor, they would receive it in about three days, and now it's taking up to seven to ten days. And some of the merchandise is even on back order. Now, if you like statistics, I have a link to the most current June 2020 Running Industry Association Retailer Survey. And it's in the show notes for this episode at feelgoodrunning.com. It's, a, it's good to take a look at these stats. They're very interesting. The good news is, is that 74% of those retailers surveyed project sales to return to normal by Q1 2021. But it depends on the containment of the virus, of course. And even better, 93% of the retailers are confident they'll be able to weather the storm and avoid closing their doors permanently. Now, back in March, in the first Running Industry Association survey, only 27% were confident they would survive. So once again, please be sure that you support your local independent running retail store. Here is a running quote to keep you inspired and feeling good. All right, runners, how about a little bit of inspiration? We can always use a little bit of inspiration, can't we? Now, if you're a first-time listener, I do a inspirational quote at the end of every show. And this episode is no exception. So here we go. Here's the quote. And I have no idea who it's from. I just found it and I thought it was pretty cool. Running, because some questions can't be answered by Google. Now, if you're a runner, you understand that. Once again, running. Because some questions can't be answered by Google. That is so true. There are several times that I went out for a run and I had questions in my mind. And when I finished my run, those questions were answered. So I hope any questions that you have get answered when you run also. Just a true, true quote. All right. I want to once again thank my guest this episode, Kent Worries from Runner's Roost Running Stores right here in Colorado. And I want to remind you once again to support your local running store. It's extremely important that your independent running stores survive. They are the heart of your local running community and give back so much to the running community. And they need to really rely on your support, especially during this time. Actually, if you think about it, can you imagine if you didn't have a local running store? What would that be like? Think about it. So support your local independent running store, okay? As runners, it's the right thing to do. All right, that's all I got for this episode. I really hope you enjoyed it. And remember to get on our email list at feelgoodrunning.com and get your free gift, 101 running-related links. You'll get that immediately upon signing up for our email list. And remember to share the show with your social media friends and spread it out on social media. Share, share, share. It's going to help the show to grow. And if you get your podcast on Apple Podcast or Spotify, subscribe. And if you can, leave a rating. 
It just helps, and I really appreciate your support. All right, runners. Hey, remember, wear your mask out there, okay? Whenever you're in public, wear your mask and just be kind to others, okay? It's a tough time. We're all going to get through this together. And hopefully someday in the near future, things will get back to some sort of normal where we can race again and join our running groups again and just have some sense of normalcy. All right. As I always say, just show up and always, always feel good about your running. That's it for this episode. Thanks for listening. Please consider sharing this podcast with your running friends and spread the feel-good running vibe around you. Head over to feelgoodrunning.com to access all the links and resources mentioned on the show. Until next time, keep motivated, keep focused, and keep on running. It is sure to make you, well, feel good.